Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. You know, we were trying to figure out what to talk about off the top of the show this week, so I'll just default to my favorite topic, how horrible the referees are. Seriously, how can you call a goal that you don't see the puck cross the line and just call the celebration? This is, like, the worst-case scenario of calling a high stick that you don't see just because you see somebody's head snap back. Like, it is, it is just nonsense! And my heart goes out to the good people of Colorado who had to watch this injustice unfold in game two of their series, where a goal that, even if, if Dan O'Rourke was born from a barn owl and had the best eyesight in the history of mankind, he's not seen that puck go in. And it just, it, it just it pisses me off that Colorado fans had to deal with this frustration while also watching their team be ill-equipped to deal with adversity in the postseason against the Dallas Stars. Dan O'Rourke, he's the guy, when I did that story about referees and how they stay in shape, packs a blender in his suitcase because he needs to make his smoothies in the morning. My point being, these are good dudes who try hard and work hard and love the game, but I just wish they got a little bit of help from their central us. I was going to say central scouting. Jeez, Louise, central, I'm really happy Wednesday morning. Your, cent- your central uh, hockey ops. Appreciating. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I don't know what's going in that blender, but I know that you shouldn't be calling goals that you don't see. <laughs> Coming up on this edition of ESPN and Ice, we have Anthony Stewart of Sportsnet. We have a, a lovely young man named Pete Blackburn from CBS Sports. It may be our, his first time on this podcast, come to think of it. I know we've had him on the other podcast. I've never talked to him in my life. Well, he's a delightful young man. I'm glad he can pull himself away from his video games and, uh, and, uh, and soda pops to come and talk to us for a few moments. Uh, all that and much more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. We had somebody email the other day, I forgot to send it to you actually, who, who was offering to do a new theme song for the podcast uh, and se- apparently, like wrote wrote a song, and then oh. like was trying to pedal it around to like hockey podcast and be like, "Hey, do you want this song?" And and but his contention was that we didn't have a song, but we clearly have a jaunty '70s game show trumpet song that plays at the start of the podcast. So I don't know if we necessarily need a revamped theme song. No. Well, firstly, I thought it was targeted to us saying, "I hate your song, and I've got something better." <laughs> but he was just. Like selling it off, like he was yeah. finding the best bidder. It's like I've I've written the best po- hockey podcast theme song in in human history. Do you want a, a slice? And I wrote back, I'm like, I, one, we have a theme song, and two, we're clearly holding out for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to do one. <laughs> That's us. That's what we're waiting for. Don't know who exactly. either of those people are, my friend. Oh come on, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Anyways, the uh, oh okay, yeah, thank you. Exactly. Uh, playoffs. Let's start with Vancouver, Vegas. Uh, this game Ooh. just happened last night. A very spicy one. It's 1-1 in that series. Uh, game two, game one, Vegas controlled the whole thing. Uh, it was vintage Vegas hockey, two-way, 200-foot hockey, physical. Ryan Reeves clucking like a chicken, uh, hitting guys all over the ice. It was everything that you expect from the Vegas Golden Knights. Game two, everything you don't expect from the Vegas Golden Knights. Sloppy defensive coverage, getting outworked and outraced by the Vancouver Canucks. So the question now, Emily, is this. 
which which is the true Vegas team in this series? Is it the first one we saw, or is it a case where, as we've seen in their previous two series, the Vancouver Canucks needed a game to kind of wet their beak and figure out what's going on, their kids, oh, we're very scared, oh, what's all these flashing lights? And now they understand what to do in this series against the Vegas Golden Knights. Honestly, the answer is boring, and I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't think Vancouver was as bad as they were in Game 1, and I don't necessarily believe Vegas is as dominant can be as sustainably dominant as they were in game one. Um, But I just got to give credit to this Vancouver team. I keep wanting to write them off, but they are so fun to watch. I am not convinced that Elias Pettersson is not an alien. He is (laughs) unbelievable. Not only does he do that crazy break and angles deke on uh, Robin Leonard for that goal, which I think might have been one of the prettiest goals of the playoff. Honestly, we got two of the prettiest goals on Tuesday night, except Blake Coleman, Bobby Orr, Zach Bogosian, little uh, oh, yeah. combo was yeah that juicy. Was awesome. um, he then has this like incredible, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Max Pacioretty, where they got a little scuffle. Max Pacioretty's glove falls into Elias Pettersson's chest. And like he's not an alien, but more so a robot. And like they got in this little scuffle, and then he just tosses his glove back, like, politely, because that's what he does. And then he goes into his post-game press conference and answers so robotically because he just loves hockey so much. This guy is a gift to the sport. He, I think, this the same conversation we were having last year, is one of the top five players in the league where, like, if he was removed from his team, his team would not be the same tomorrow. Like, yeah. he's the heartbeat of that team. Um, so anyway, that's his, my gushing to Vancouver. My gushing also to Jacob Markstrom, where... How can they get rid of him after he's playing like this? So this is by far the best series in the West, in my opinion, mostly because the Dallas-Colorado series, as we record this, is 0-2. And like, maybe Colorado comes back, but uh, that one's just not drawing my attention. Markstrom's an interesting case because they clearly have a, a goalie in waiting in, in Thatcher Demko. I mean, he's, he's been sort of the goalie that they've been grooming for a long time there to be the guy. Um, I mean, it, it's not a, a direct one-to-one comparison, but he's kind of their Carter Hart. Like, he's just been percolating under the surface for a long time, waiting to get a shot to be the guy there. Markstrom's great, though. And and so the question then becomes, like, what does that contract look like for Markstrom from Vancouver? Do you want to sign him for a long term? Do you want to sign him for a few years in sort of like a Flurry-esque contract to then, you know, turn it over to Demko eventually? I don't know the answer. And I also don't know whether or not somebody who is desperate for – a, an upgrade in goal, say like Calgary, for example, might come and just throw a lot of money at a guy who now is playoff tested. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see yeah. what happens there. And with Markstrom, too, my take is that he wants to be paid and he wants to get security and he oh, yeah. deserves it. Um, I don't think Vancouver has the appetite for a long-term deal. But like you mentioned Calgary. I think Edmonton's another goaltending needy team. I don't know if anyone has the appetite right now to sign a goalie to a long-term deal. And like Carolina, I know you've mentioned their goaltending situation a bunch of times. Just knowing the way the Carolina front office works, I can't imagine them going to upgrade the position when they have those two guys under contract next year mm-hmm. at budget rates. Yeah, that, that's true. Now, we, we this series has Markstrom, it has Robin Lehner, it has two guys that are unrestricted free agents this summer. Obviously, if we're talking Robin Lehner, we got to talk Mark Andre Fleury. We get into this with Anthony Stewart a little bit later, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But yes, the the image that that uh, what are the stab scene around the world is uh, Alan <laughs> Walsh, Fleury's agent, tweeted out an image of Fleury being impaled in the back by a sword, brandishing the name of Pete DeBoer, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Which uh, led to an all-time know- press conference question by you. Oh, thank you. Yes, when 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 somebody <laughs> asked about Fleury, whether he kind of knew or didn't, or what he thought of it, and he's doing his flurry, I'm a good guy, Tamp, that's all you know. It's good to my agent, he tries to support me, and I try to do the best I can. And then I'm like, so did you know about the image or not? 
And then Flurry's like, I already answered that. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't say anything. I wasn't even talking about that question by you. I was thinking of Pete. This is the first time we've talked to you since you had a sword sucked through your uh, stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever you said. Oh, yeah. Your name appeared on the sword. Dude, I've been on a roll on these Zoom calls. But no, he, yeah. So Flurry doesn't deny anything. But he also doesn't say he knows about the image. Uh, I here's what I think. I think Flurry goes to the bubble thinking he's the starter, and I think he thinks that one hmm. because he's been told uh, explicitly, uh, not only maybe behind the scenes, but also through their the transaction. Like when when Laner was acquired, they said he was an insurance policy. They said he was an upgrade on Malcolm Subban. There's Facts. nothing. There's nothing in in their statements that indicate Robin Laner's going to have this crease at some point. You know, unless Flurry, you know, falls apart and gives it to him. And Flurry's thinking, okay, regular season being what it is, here's a four month break. Here we come back to the playoffs. I have demonstrably been a good playoff goalie for you. I led you to the Cup final, inaugural season. Should be my crease. I think that's a completely reasonable thing to think. He gets there. Pete DeBoer, who's been with the team for like a minute, says, nah, actually, it's Robin Lehner's crease. So whether he knows about the image or doesn't know about the image, that's beside the point, in my opinion. I think he's got a gripe. I think that mm-hmm. he everything about this situation for Marc-Andre Fleury pointed to him getting the crease to begin the real playoffs. And I know he didn't have the best exhibition game. Who cares? You've had teams... The Bruins didn't have good exhibition games. And look what they, they're doing now. They so, literally were calling I, them preseason games. Yeah. So, like, it should be it should have been his crease off the hop, his to lose. Laner's there as the insurance policy or play them both. So, as we do the show, we don't know what the situation is for game three. But I, I think Fleury had, you know, every right to be as upset as he was. And I don't necessarily think that the, the image and the and, and – the, complaint about the situation is going to like derail their postseason they're a pretty, they're a pretty professional team uh, the vegas golden knights they are i honestly feel like this is almost flurry being a victim of his own success because i've mentioned this on previous podcasts he was so overburdened mm. with starts for his first year few years in the league um mm. or for a few years with vegas rather um that it led to a decline and that's why they needed to go out and get an insurance policy because they're like hey this guy could get hurt because god damn it we've overused him so <laughs> it's really interesting i like the fact that Leonard and flurry seem to have handled it by themselves like they seem to have a good tandem and like you said um you know i, I think part of it too is that these are goalies and i was like oh how's this going to affect the team chemistry like yeah, when Mark Stone gets on the ice, he's not thinking, oh, is Marc-Andre sad right now? I don't know if I can play <laughs> <Yeah>. my best. <laughs> like, no, so... Mark Stone is going out there ready to yeah. knock some guys out. Yeah, Riley Smith isn't looking over at the bench and hearing a Sarah McLaughlin song, uh, song in his head <laughs> as he's watching uh, Marc-Andre Fleury sit there. Um, you mentioned Colorado-Dallas. I've watched a lot of that series. Uh, Dallas is just in a complete steamroller role right now as far as their Are offense they good goes. good at so, offense? I mean, 17 goals in their first in the last three games before uh, game three of that series. It's it's listen, their their offense has always been kind of sneaky good. It's gotten a lot better for two reasons. One is the amount of uh, responsibility offensively they're giving their defensemen. And if you've seen Miro Hiskinen and uh, and John Klingberg and their numbers in this postseason, it's obvious that mm-hmm. Dallas has kind of let those guys loose a little bit and. Um, I got a I got a piece up today about Heaskin and Quinn Hughes and uh, Cal McCarr that you should probably check out. It's pretty good. 
Um, and then the other thing is the ascendant of jo- ascendance of Joe Pavelski into being playoff Joe. And and like yeah. this was the plan. It was sign this guy. Maybe the regular season is going to be whatever it is, and then come playoff time, he's going to earn his money. And Pete DeBoer said something interesting the other day, which is that he was convinced that that Pavelski was going to have a real strong playoff because he had four months off to rest up. We've never seen Pavelski be this fresh. And considering what he does in the playoffs, usually uh, it all comes together. And then the other thing with Colorado is that, like, they have three key injuries to start off the series. The officiating doesn't go their way, as I mentioned off the top of the show in, uh, in game two. And they showed a disturbing amount of... Uh, boo-boo face, poor us, uh, self-pity um, in in game two about their lot in life that you don't want to necessarily see from a championship contender. That's fair, and honestly, the Eric like we're talking a lot about Philip Grubauer being out, and Pavel Francouz is a good goalie. I think it is a, a lesser option in net, but Eric Johnson being out and that shuffling up those defensive yeah. pairings, that's huge. Like Zadorov and Ian Cole have been a bit porous. They're trying to mix it up, playing with Gerard, but the defense is a problem, and I think that's affecting the offense. Exactly. Over in the East, uh, we'll say Boston-Tampa for a second. So <laughs> as everybody knows, I'm a Devils fan. Um, you know, 1995 was a formative year for your boy, seeing his favorite team win the Cup. Uh, throughout that run, uh, I heard how the Devils were killing hockey, how they weren't fun. And I would fight back and say, no, but they are fun because I'm a Devils fan and they're winning. And I feel like I've gone through the looking glass and now I'm seeing the same stuff being said and written about the Islanders. Like the Islanders are the antithesis of fun in the playoffs. And then Islanders fans and some pundits fighting back and saying, actually, well, actually, they are super fun. Um, you've seen a lot of this series and you've seen a lot of the Islanders in the playoffs. Fun or not fun, New York Islanders, Emily? So I'm the type of person when, like, a goalie gets pulled at the last two minutes of a game and a team is down. I'm not looking at, like, the extra man advantage and how they're being creative. I love watching the defensive guys play their heart out, be in perfect Mm. defensive structural position. I think that's fun to watch. And when you watch the Islanders, like, no one is ever out of position. Um, I also think that it's underrated. They get a lot of goals off the rush. Like, they can produce some fun offense. And I know the Devils um, comparison is being bandied about. I almost feel like this is the Golden Knights in their inaugural season, too, Mm. where it's a bunch of guys who have bought into a system, bought into a coach, but they're also us against the world. Like, I remember talking to Anders Lee a couple times over the last two years, and, like, they really feel like they don't get the the respect they deserve. After they went on that, like, 17-game winning streak, no one was talking about them, us included. When they come and do this, we're all trying to discredit them, and I really do feel like it's... That, you know, underdog mentality, that's fun. Um, and so, yeah, I, they, are they boring? If you don't like 2-1 games, that's boring. Um, but I think they're a damn good team. They're probably the best team in the Eastern Conference bubble and maybe the best team this summer, period. It's, it's all, it's, I think it tracks back to two things. I think, one, the nomadic existence that they had in their arena situation where, like, now, mm-hmm. like, Brooklyn sucks and now they have to go between two buildings and now they're building a new building and a whole thing. And... Uh, you know, much like the Golden Knights and that inaugural class of Golden Misfits, uh, the Islanders were told that uh, they weren't wanted by their captain, right. John Tavares, right. who left for Toronto. And there's no superstars on the team, right? There's there's yeah. no guy that stands up and we're like, oh, we, like Matt Barzell should be a superstar. He's that creative. He's that skilled. But because <clears throat> he plays in the system, he doesn't get a shine. Yeah, I'm going to get paid like a superstar, that's for sure. 
Uh, Boston-Tampa, that game three is is uh, in a few moments uh, after we do this podcast, pretty much. It's uh, back-to-backs and back-to-backs. I mean, I think six and seven are also back-to-back in this series, too. Really, I mean, this is just what you want. I mean, these are two heavyweights swinging at each other. Um, uh, game two was was a thrilling game. Brad Marchand, man, Jesus. I mean, the, Brad Marchand might be building a Hall of Fame case based on postseason exploits at this point. I mean, like, he is just such a gamer uh, in, in the postseason. Um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit uh, later uh, with, with, with Pete Blackburn, but uh, what's been your impression of the Tampa-Boston series so far? I think if you haven't watched Tampa to this point, all of a sudden you're appreciating, like, this is a different team than last year. Um, like, I wrote about it today, but the new guys that they brought in that bring physicality and toughness, Coleman has been unreal. I, what a great pickup. Sorry, you're a Devils fan, but, like, he's playing yeah. incredible. Goodrow in that third line with Yanni Gord. They've been forechecking and, and causing fits for everybody. Um, Zach Bogosian, glow up of the year. Thought he was out of the league. Uh, was requesting a trade from Buffalo. Wouldn't report to their AHL. Now is manning a top line with Victor Hedman playing 21 minutes a night. Like, that's incredible. Um, and then Pat Maroon on the fourth line. So I really want to give some credit to Julian Brisbois, who um, understood what his team needed to get past this next um, little hump. And I really do feel like they are better poised to make a run this year than last. For sure. Even and, and doing the, this without Samkos. Yeah, which is incredible. The Bogosian thing is a great point, too, because it was like, um, I think somebody pointed out, I forget who it was, but when he was a, a younger player, like, like you know, pre-draft, like he was an offensive guy. And then because of his body type, he was kind of cast to be more of a defensive defenseman. Hmm. And, uh, just and to also see, probably like, the era, the time. Yeah, and the oh, oh, yeah, and the era, too, absolutely. And so, like, to see him... I mean, he made an incredible pass to Coleman in game two. So it was, it was, it was good to see. That's a really good comment. Incredible pass and incredible, incredible interview between periods where they're like, hey, when was the last time you did that? And they expect him to be like, oh, in my pond playing hockey growing up. Yeah. And he's like, yesterday in practice. Yeah, there it is. Bogo, <laughs> baby. Uh, all right, let's talk to uh, a man with impeccable skills uh, as well, uh, Anthony Stewart. Joining us now is a Sportsnet pundit, Anthony Stewart. Uh, to join us here on ESPN and Ice, talking playoffs and everything else. Let's start with a general question, sir. We're in the, we're in the semifinals for the conferences. Which series has piqued your interest the most so far as we're in the semifinals? Uh, it's got to be the Vancouver-Vegas series, just based on the fact that there's so many storylines. Right? There were storylines before uh, the series even happened with Flurry and uh, you know the the Twitter comments and the pitchers and the goaltending controversy. Uh, after game one, there was the controversy of Roussel and Ryan Reeves. And after game two, it was just the Vancouver Canucks getting back in the series with their speed and, and just sticking to playing hockey. So that's definitely been uh, one of the series that's piqued my interest. And that first period last night, I think that's the fastest game of hockey I think I've seen in a long time. Mm. I want to ask you about Flurry from a player's perspective. Um, this is a type of petty drama we're not used to in the NHL. Like, this happens all the day in NBA Twitter and NBA circles. But in hockey, we don't get agents tweeting out pictures with guys and swords in them. <laughs> from your perspective, firstly, like, how is this handled from a media perspective? And as a player, like, what would you have done if you were Flurry or you were Lynn or one of his teammates? Well, first thing when this happened, I called my agent. I said, how come you never vouched for me and, and cared about me that much? Like, uh, But, uh, you know, the one thing about Flurry that I can say, and everyone can agree with, that he's got a lot of social equity 
uh, in the National Hockey League and with his teammates. It was another goalie that's been causing problems throughout the years. I think that the, the team would sort of revolt against him and really have a serious problem. But he's been such a great teammate, such a good player over the last you know, 10, 12 years that I think he gets a pass on this one too. So I think what really needed to happen was them just have a, a conversation in private and saying, hey, we don't want this to be a distraction. It's not about, you know, personal accolades right now. We're trying to win a Stanley Cup and we need everybody on board. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Vancouver keeps this onslaught that you'd see him in this series. But uh, from a distraction standpoint, he's too good of a teammate, too good of a guy to, to really let this affect him or the team. That's interesting about the, the, the like, these controversies sometimes come down to how much you like the guy, right? Like when you were in the league and you would see contract disputes, holdouts, that kind of thing, would that kind of be the determining factor as to like how much equity that dude built up in the room uh, versus this is a guy who shouldn't be causing this kind of drama? Yeah, there's guys that cause so much drama that you're just waiting for a reason to snap on them. Like you're really playing this song again, like, and you just get on them and pile on them. But when you're a good guy, like, you know, I was a pretty good guy in the dressing room, and and I missed. Uh, I, I was late one morning, and I'm like, oh man, I'm done. I'm I'm getting cut. I'm getting butt again. I was a great guy, great teammate. They actually gave me a pass. I paid a three hundred dollar fine. Uh, it should have been a thousand bucks, but just based on my salary, they let it slide. So I think that can really be a, a a mission statement to the young players coming in the league. Put a lot of emphasis on being a good teammate, being around the boys, because it can help you down the line. While while we were watching this series, man, game one, of course, was the Ryan Reeves show with Roussel. I wanted to get your take on Roussel. Like, when your whole gig is that you're supposed to be an agitator and get people off their game, and guys on the other bench are clucking like a chicken and then laughing at you in the penalty box, like, is that, is that the single worst moment of your life as an agitator? It is, and I was really worried about it because I'm like, you know, you, you got to now find a, re- a way to respond, and, I'm, you know, that's how someone gets hurt. Like, I could see him maybe running the goalie or, or doing something dumb, but uh, good on the, the organization, the team, really probably pulling him aside and saying, hey, we don't need this distraction. You're the little brother here. You don't really want to be poking the bear because it's just like when you have, when you have your siblings there, uh, if, you're, if you're messing with your big brother, eventually he's just going to punch you in the head and, and, and make you cry. So, um, you know, he didn't really have an impact on the game last night. He only played six and a half minutes, where I think that was great because you don't want that distraction because the Vegas Golden Knights, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Uh, you you want to get into a track meet with them, not a slugfest. We had Jonathan Marsh's show on the show last week, and he was telling us a little bit about some of the promises he felt going into the bubble about excursions and golf and, and maybe his family being able to join without, you know, some hassle and, and felt like the NHL walked it back. I'm curious if you're hearing anything from guys in the bubble about, you know, the experience so far. And it really feels like at this point it is a grind and it is a mental tax. Like, do you think it's starting to wear on guys? Yeah, it definitely has a mental grind, and you've heard some coaches uh, explain it and, and really say it, it, it's tough. But, you know, you've got to keep in mind now, there's players that live through this every single year of their careers when they have to go to Europe. Remember, you're in a bubble there. You know, I was in Russia for six months, not speaking the language. Uh, if, you know, you go to eat lunch at 12 o'clock and there's no more food left, you can't vocalize, hey, we need more food. So it's, it's definitely a, a humbling experience. And really, I think what it's going to do is make the NHL players really feel appreciated for how good they have it because, <laughs> you know, 80% of the hockey players don't, you know, aren't allowed to make a career, you know, in North America. They have to go over to that bubble overseas. So uh, some guys are going to have some complaints, but most of the guys are enjoying the experience. And uh, for me, uh, being at home uh, for four and a half months with uh, three kids and one on the way, 
you know, I'm excited to get back into the studio and take a couple hours or a couple of days away from home. <laughs> well, with that said, what do you think is realistic for next season to ask for players? Like, if the NHL comes to them with a bubble concept, do you think that's something that guys would go for and should go for? Well, if, if it's a difference between whether well, you're going to make 80% of your salary or 40%, whether you enter the bubble or not, I think it's going to make guys think long and hard about having to do this again and go through, through this experience of being in the bubble because uh, there's a lot of skeptics thinking that the league was going to get shut down, thinking that the bubble wasn't really going to be uh, a success, but it has. So uh, depending on where we're at next year with this pandemic, you might have to do that. But um, these guys are paid a lot of money. Um, they have a lot of, uh, you know, good experiences going on in the game. They might have to sacrifice for one more year, but we're just not there yet. So I think it's too early to speculate. Yeah, that's true, man. It's, it's, I mean, all bets are off when it comes to next season. I think, I think they're waiting to see what happens in some of these other sports. They're creeping mm-hmm. towards having fans back in the stands before they figure out anything. But, uh, I think, I think, I think also internally, they don't want to be baseball. Don't be baseball is probably what they're saying at this point. As yeah, far don't as be next season goes. milk and cookies at, 12:30 when you're on the road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, speaking of the bubble, man, like we started off this whole thing with this incredible moment for the NHL uh, when it came to acknowledgement of diversity issues, acknowledgement of problems with race in in the U.S. and Canada. Um, Jacob Blake was shot seven times. There's riots in Kenosha. I saw Matt Dumba speak out on it. I haven't seen much of anything from anybody else, and there certainly hasn't been many questions from us in the media to these guys about it in the bubble. How confident are you that we're going to be able to follow through on the momentum that we had at the beginning of these playoffs on these issues? Um, do you think it was a like a, a here-and-gone kind of thing, or do you think that there's going to be momentum that carries through into, say, like initiatives beyond the season? Well, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic um, that um, it, it, things are really, really going to change um, because it, this is something that is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take 10, 15, 20, 30 years to actually make a difference. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with what happened the other day, um, you'd think that there'd be no way that this would happen, you know, literally months after the George Floyd incident. So that just shows right. how deep the problem really, really is. But at the end of the day, I think it's a, it's a tight line to, to walk here because, you know, athletes are entertainers and to, they don't have the answers. A lot of them are in their own personal bubble where they don't even know. So I'm not really looking for answers from a, from a hockey player, suburban hockey player, on what the answers are to, you know, racial injustice. So it's great that they're supporting it, uh, but, you know, a person like me, we have to live it every single day. My brother has to live it every every single day. You know, I was, you know, I think I told this story before. I was on the phone with him one time while he was driving through uh, Minneapolis and he's on the phone and he's like, I got to get out of the, I got to get off the phone here because I have to get out of this eyesight of this police officer. So I have to take a couple hard rights to get out of, you know, get out of the way here because I don't want to get pulled over. So that's a real, you know, life, you know, experience that you have to live on a day to day basis. So, to, to look for answers from athletes that don't live it, I don't really have any expectations on it, but um, I really want to make a difference for my kids. I have three black children, one on the way. I want it to be easier for them than it is on me. So that's the goal, and I think we're going to keep you know, working on that on a day-to-day basis and trying to make it easier for the next generation. Well said, man. All right, last one. You're on Sportsnet. You're, 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 you're punditry now. You're Hockey Night in Canada talking head. It's a very <laughs> exciting time. Tell, tell me what it's like to be in Kevin BX's uh, sphere these days. 
This, this guy, <laughs> this guy, in the span of like six months, has become like the Tony Romo of hockey. People are like looking at him, being like, "Wow, he was born into this role." What is? He's what is... been great. He's been great, and it's like he's been doing it for twenty years. And, and I think he's probably not going to like to hear this, but he's probably going to be a better broadcaster and analyst than he was as a player. <laughs> Uh, it's just great because, you know, behind the scenes, he's always cracking jokes. He's always chirping. And, you know, he's chirping Ron McLean where, you know, that's hockey royalty. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to leave the room here. But that's part of what makes him, you know, juice. And uh, I've had a couple uh, back and forth with him, but he's just as witty. So I, I watch myself around him. But he's he's been amazing. Uh, the fan feedback's been amazing. And the issue now, he's sort of in the same boat as me where, you know, he's running his own hockey academy in California, but I think his future is definitely in broadcasting. I think so, too. And, and just from your perspective, man, like as someone who probably grew up watching these broadcasts and stuff, like what's 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 it been like for you to now ascend to being part of this institution in that country? Yeah, I always kind of not suit think for about you. it because I, I, sometimes the cameras and the bright lights sort of shine in your, in your face, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm really doing this right now. So if I actually think about it, that's when I'll literally – you know, mess up, and I've messed up a couple times, but Ron's been great, Elliot's been great, all these guys have been great in just helping me. I thought they would sort of been like, who's this rookie coming in, and, you know, <laughs> but they've been showing me the ropes, giving me points, and giving me, uh, you know, tips every, you know, after every segment. So they're really embracing me, and uh, it was something I wasn't sure that I wanted to do, but I'm embracing it, I love it, and I definitely can see this being part of my future. That's awesome, man. And also good to hear there's no hazing at uh, Sports Night either, apparently. No, no. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you if it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Anthony Stewart, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you down the line. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks, Anthony Stewart, uh, who is really good on Sportsnet, And they have a really good crew in place right there. It's amazing how uh, quickly things can change. Uh, for a, a network's uh, Q rating with just an infusion of uh, better uh, people. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins made a trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kaspari Kapanen goes to the Penguins on Tuesday in a multi-faceted deal that essentially gets money off the cap for Toronto and the 15th overall pick for uh, Kapanen. This is a deal for me at first glance that um, speaks to the worst tendencies of Jim Rutherford, the Penguins general manager. When he was in Carolina, he was infamous for reacquiring players that he had previously acquired. He did this uh, a few times with Eric Cole. He infamously, I think, did it four times with a guy named Joe Corvo, who was a defenseman for the Hurricanes. And, in, and he did it this season with Connor Sheary. And mm -hmm. now he does it again where he drafted Kasperi Kapanen and sent him to, to Toronto in the Kessel trade, reacquires him, having also drafted his father, Sammy, while general manager of the Hartford Whalers. Like, Jim Rutherford, nobody could take away the fact that this man built two Stanley Cup champion teams, back-to-back -back Cup champions in Pittsburgh, Hall of Fame general manager, one of the best executives in the history of hockey. Also a guy who... who it needs to kill his darlings a little bit more because <laughs> he this keeps reacquiring the same players. There's that. And then this is also like, I want to say the second or third trade over the last couple seasons where you look at it from the Penguins and all of us are like, huh, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, doesn't feel like fair compensation. But Jim Rutherford likes what he likes. 
And not that he's the smartest man in the room, but he's the smartest man where he knows exactly what fits for his Sidney Crosby-led team, and, and he feels he knows. Um, do I like it? No, I don't, I don't think this is a good trade. I don't think you, in a good draft year for a team that has depleted its entire <clears throat> prospect pool trying to mm-hmm. win now to get rid of the 15th overall pick to take on a player like Kapanen um, and giving up more, like that to me doesn't seem worth it. Um, yeah. But this is Jim Rutherford's world, and we're all just living in yins. Yeah, the, the like you said, it's the asset management that kind of disturbs you. Where they give up a, a pretty high high prospect, they give away the pick, they give away cap space, which is arguably the most valuable asset you can have uh, in today's NHL to acquire Kapanen. And the two things about Kapanen that kind of are frustrating for me, if you're a Penguins fan, is one, they gave up all this this treasure to acquire a player who, you know, could play with Sidney Crosby and become a thirty goal scorer. Who's who's to say? Except. In the times that he so had an people. audition, yeah, well, yeah, it, well, that's exactly, exactly right. Like, you don't have to give up that much to get a guy who, in theory, could play with Sid and excel. But in in Kapanen's time playing with John Tavares and Austin Matthews, he, he didn't excel. Like, he wasn't a top-line player for the Maple Leafs during his time there. He was squarely, like, a third-line guy. And, you know, you don't give up that amount of, of, of stuff for a third-line guy. You give up that amount of stuff for a guy that you know is a known commodity. And... The Crosby angle, everybody points to like guys like um, uh, Chris Kunitz as an example of, oh, here's the guy who was sort of a middling talent. He comes to Pittsburgh, becomes a star playing with Crosby. But Kunitz was a 60-point guy for the Ducks. And he was older, too, before he was acquired by the Penguins. I think there was much more um, proof of concept in, in acquiring a guy like Kunitz than there is in acquiring a guy like Kapanen. So I don't, I don't quite understand the trade. Um, the last I, thing I'll I, say I th- on it. Yeah, sure. Oh, sorry, I totally interrupted you, but kind of liked it. <laughs> the last <laughs> thing I'll say on it is, uh, you know, when we first heard that Kapanen was getting traded to the Leafs, we didn't know the or to the Penguins, we didn't know the return. The first thought was, okay, this is the Matt Murray trade. He's a Sioux Greyhound, and he's going right. to reunite with Kyle Dubas. I've been told, and I, I think Jim Rutherford's on the record saying a trade is pretty imminent uh, for one of his goalies. We all believe that Matt Murray is the one to go, and my first thought was. It couldn't be one for one. Like, they have to get more for Murray. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, God damn it, they should just give Murray for Kapanen. That would have been a much better deal. It would have been. Um, yeah, I think, I think this, ju- this trade looks really bad on the surface, but I think next steps for both the Penguins and the Leafs are the essential part of evaluating it. Um, Todd Reardon was fired. What do you think about that? You know, I was starting to hear some whispers that if they didn't Ooh. get past the first round... Uh, he would go. And I think part of it was that his message was getting stale on these players. Um, You know, this reminds me so much of when I covered the NFL and every head coaching cycle, they would always hire the quarterback's coach or offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator that was doing something super innovative and then made him a head coach. And that's great. But a head coach is supposed to be a CEO. It's not necessarily as much about the X's and O's as much as it's being a leader of men and and guiding the troops and and managing personalities and egos. And for Todd Reardon, he was that exciting defensive coordinator who was doing a cool structural thing and got promoted. And look, he earned that promotion, but I think they misjudged um, the capabilities he has of being a CEO of a team. And now they're saying, hey, we might not have that long with this core left. Ovi's contract is up at the end of next summer. Maybe he's going to mm. want to start doing one-year deals from here on out. 
we got to maximize this. This is not our guy. So I like the fact that they were quick and decisive. Yeah, and, and I think at the end of the day, the mistake made was trying to continue what Barry Trotz built with a guy that wasn't Barry Trotz and, and hiring a guy who hadn't been a head coach when – look, the first guy that had previous head coaching experience that was hired while Alex Ovechkin has been a member of the Capitals – is not coincidentally the guy who won Alex Ovechkin a Stanley Cup. So I think it's pretty obvious the Capitals respond to veteran coaches that know how to push their buttons and have a little bit of gravitas to them, and Todd Reardon was not that guy. He could he could end up being that guy. He's got experience now. I mean, don't forget, like, Pete DeBoer got fired by Florida. Like, there's a, there's a number of different coaches that didn't work out in the first – hell, Gerard Gallant, who they might even try, you know, try to hire, infamously was not a good coach in his first stint with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So um, – you know, there is going to be a second act for Todd Reardon at some point, I think. Um, but this just wasn't the right coach for the Capitals. Bruce Cassidy sucked in his first head coaching job with the Washington Capitals. With the Capitals, yeah. The discourse is, and, you know, my editor, Tim, what I love, added fair or not fair. It's fair. The uh, Capitals have a reputation for being stingy with their coaches. They do. Um, they pay to the cap on players, and they don't on coaches. And we saw it play out in the Derry Trot situation. And I was shook by the fact that Todd Reardon had two years left on his deal. Mm-hmm. And they were going to pay that out and a new coach. I was like, this seems off brand. And someone quickly said, he wasn't making that much money. Like, it's, yeah. it's fine. I think he's making just a shade over a million. But I do think, you know, Brian McClellan can say all he wants. We're not going to be stingy. It's not his decision. It's a Dick Patrick and Ted Leonsis decision. And, you know, I think the perfect guy for this group who could really light a fire under them is LaViolette. That's the guy that I keep looking on. And I've been yeah. told that LaViolette is asking for quite a large sum of money in his next gig and i wonder if he's going to price himself out it's going to be interesting because like you said the window is not it's cracked but it's not like wide open so if you want somebody to come in and crack a whip it's going to be interesting if they go spend a little bit more to get a guy like lavulette uh finally in this little transaction segment uh alex petrangelo talking about his future it was pretty clear at the end of the blues playoff series uh with vancouver that that future was cloudy, uh, that he wanted to come back, but by no means was declaring that he would be back. And um, look, I think I think he clearly wants to remain with the Blues. I, I think there's also clearly some cap issues there where they'd have to move around some people to get him in for the money that he's probably looking for. But I also think that despite it being a flat cap, um, there are going to be teams that will also move around salary to bring in a number one pairing foundational defenseman with a Stanley Cup ring. Uh, the flat cap's going to murder the middle class of the NHL. There's no question about that. But I think the high-end guys like Petro and, and Taylor Hall can still find their contracts. It's just going to be a matter of whether he wants to leave St. Louis, and I don't believe that he wants to. No. like I, I think ideally, when all was said and done, he wanted the Roman Yossi contract. Nine years, nine million per year, the max contract, yeah. eight years. I don't think he's getting that in this current reality. And I, I think, you know, he's the same age as Yossi, which I didn't realize, um, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, I think the most likely outcome here is a compromise between the Blues and Pietrangelo, because as you said, um, I think the motivating factor here is that he wants to stay. Um, mm-hmm. And so whether that's a shorter term that he's asking for, whether it's a cap hit that he didn't exactly want, um, because of the current situation, you're right, I do think there will be suitors but probably not as many as there would have been before all of this. And therefore, like, I'd be pretty surprised if he left. For the betterment of the game, he should go to Toronto. Uh, all right, coming up. For the betterment of who? Uh, for, all of our, for all of us. For our producer, Ryan? 
Yeah, for a producer, the Ryan Leafs, Leafs fan. fan. All right, let's talk to Pete Blackburn now. Joining us now is writer for CBS. He told us to say that. I mean, you, you may know him better as Gift Boy. Uh, Pete Blackburn <laughs> joins us now on the ESPNS podcast for the first time. How are you, Pete? How, how is life? Uh, it's good. I'm a gift man now. Please, oh, uh, please update mm. your 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 sheet there. But yeah, I'm gifting. Uh, everything's good. It's weird times, but uh, can't complain. See, I thought it was like a Sidney Crosby thing where you remain gift boy, much like he remains Sid the Kid in perpetuity. I don't know. I, do people even call Sidney Crosby Sid the Kid anymore? I, I feel like I haven't heard that in forever. They do. But I, they do. I would prefer. Okay. I, well, I would prefer gift man. That makes sense. To that point. I was text. I were in our Slack channel, and I was so perturbed by the fact that all these years later, Marty Berdur is still the face of Enterprise commercials. I think it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And our editor's like, "No, you should see all this fan research that we do. Like, if you ask Jets fans who's the number one quarterback or who's who's a player on the Jets, um, like seventy percent say Joe Namath. So I do think that the name recognition does resonate with Sid the Kid. Um, that was just my rant. I actually wanted to ask you about your gifts. I'm on Twitter during a game, and I'm just so impressed by how quickly you have the perfect thing to say and the perfect gift of the moment that we just watched. How do you do it so quickly? Uh, computers, usually. <laughs> uh, you know, I have a, a nice nice computer set up, and uh, you know, I think I've slowed down. Either I've slowed down over the years, or, uh, or everybody else is smarter and faster than me because I'm no longer the fastest person uh, gifting games and stuff out there. It makes me feel old. Yeah. No, I feel you. There's like that here's your replay site that apparently can like I think it might actually be sending gifts back from the future. It's so quickly. Yeah. So I don't quite know how they did that. Uh some sort of time travel technology, but but it's fun. It's fun to 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 have that at our disposal at uh, disposal and it's fun that the NHL's never really been, you know, the same kind of league as as MLB to crack down on that stuff necessarily. So that's that's always good. Um you uh you have a, a familiarity with the Boston Bruins, dare I say, an affinity for the Boston Bruins. Um, what is your what is your take on 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 the Bruins in these playoffs, insofar as them being a Stanley Cup contender? Obviously, the team that thwarted them last year, the St. Louis Blues, they didn't care. They're they're done with the bubble. They're out of here. But the Bruins, they play on. And uh, and what's your take on them this postseason? Honestly, this entire this entire time, I've sort of just and kind of waiting for the bottom to fall out of, of this team, uh, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, because I think that they were a little bit overrated in the, uh, in the regular season. I know that they finished as um, you know, the, the top team in the league, and, and they did look really good at points, but I also think that that was very much a team that was shielded by really good goaltending and um, you know, the top line. Like, they didn't get a ton of secondary scoring, um, and... and I didn't love the moves that they made at you know at the trade deadline, specifically uh, Nick Ritchie. Not not a huge fan, um, but you know I I've just kind of been waiting for the bottom to fall out against some of these better teams. Like namely, I, I was expecting it against Carolina. I'm definitely expecting it against Tampa, especially with Tuukka Rask no longer there to to shield some of their their flaws. And I don't think Yaroslav Halak has looked good enough in my eyes. To, to make me confident that he can be uh, the guy to help shield them moving forward. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I usually am. <laughs> Besides Tuca not being there, is there anything different about this team than last year's one that went to the Stanley Cup final? Uh, 
Oh, I think they're a little worse, uh, if I'm being honest with you. I, I think that you know they they don't have the 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 third line has looked looked okay, and and you know David Krejci has been unbelievable uh, on that second line, which has helped helped sort of you know mitigate what I think that they lack in depth. But I I do think that this team isn't as impressive as the one that we've seen top to bottom uh, from last year. And, and I thought last year they had uh, the best team in the playoffs and that they should have walked just straight to the Stanley Cup final uh, and, and won against the inferior team. And I'll forever, that'll forever haunt my dreams that they lost the St. Louis Blues last year. Um, it still, still really hurts, I'll tell you. Um, but yeah, I do think that this team is is a little bit worse. You know, maybe maybe very minimally worse, but I don't think they're as good as last year's team. Are you you're in Boston, right? You're in Boston area or no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if they lose and Halak gets outplayed by Vasilevsky, let's say in this series, like I I, I honestly don't, I don't listen to Boston sports talk radio <laughs> for many reasons. But Lucky you. <laughs> I know, I know exactly. It's it's one it's one it's one of my luxuries in, in my privileged 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 life. But what do you think the the narrative or the discourse is going to be about Tuca if that happens? I mean, are we already past the the stuff about him ducking out uh, for family reasons and and we're, we're that's a settled issue? Or is it going to be one of these things of like, well, if Tuca didn't leave the bubble, you know, kind of thing for the rest of of of, of uh, creation? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to tell you that. That you know Halak not being great and him being outplayed in this series would lead to a, a greater appreciation of Zugarask and what he does for this team regularly. But it'll a hundred, hundred and ten percent be well. If Tuka didn't leave, then we, they wouldn't be in this position. And uh, you know, I, I think that that people are already on. Some people are already on the train to to, to trade him because you can't trust him, and he he left the team high and dry and, and all this. And I think that some more understanding people ha- have. Um, sort of taking a, their foot off the gas a little bit uh, in terms of that once the, the stuff about his daughter came out. But uh, there is a, a whole large other faction of people that are totally dug in on blaming Tuga and hating Tuga, and it, this is going to be his fault no matter what. Like It's a lose-lose situation for, for people who like Tuca around here because if the Bruins win, it's going to be well. We told you that they could win without Tuca, and that they, they did it because Halak was in net. And if they lose, it'll be Tuca's fault because he left and put them in a, in a precarious position. Hmm. All right. Well, that's my follow-up. Why is Tuca so polarizing? Like he might be one of the Boston athletes across all of their four major sports that is the most successful yet still most polarizing amongst the fan base. I wish I could tell you, and I really do, because. Like when I started, uh, like really, really getting into the Bruins, there was probably like a like a five to ten year period where goaltending and finding a steady goaltender was hard to come by. And then all of a sudden, you, you had Tim Thomas, and obviously we know what Tim Thomas was able to do uh, for his team in 2011. And I think that that did hurt Tuca basically in the in the long run, especially after it came after uh, you know the 2010 collapse and, and Tuca being in, in net for that. So I think that that sort of hurt the longevity and, and outlook of, of Tuca in Boston. But I mean, it, it is unbelievable that so many people don't appreciate what he's what he's been able to do uh, in a league where sustained goaltending for like over a decade is almost impossible to find. 
So, you know, it drives me crazy, but I do think that, like, a part of the reason why he gets so much hate around here is because he sort of, like, has this nonchalant uh, attitude, and Mm -hmm. I think we did see that come out a little bit uh, in the bubble, where, you know, he really doesn't care what what people think uh, when he talks to the media. Like, he's open and honest, for better or for worse, and I think sometimes it rubs people the wrong way, and especially when when he kind of approaches it and like, well, I'm just here to play hockey and, you know, all this outside noise doesn't matter. I think a lot of the times people from Boston want to want that intensity and they want to know that that outside noise is, is motivating somebody or driving somebody. And Tuca is just kind of, he's there. And I think that that bothers a lot of people. I almost think it's a lost in cultural translation because when I listen to him, I'm like, he just sounds Finnish. It's like a Finnish blunt (laughs) sense of humor. And maybe with all due respect to Bostonians, like my grandpa grew up in Dorchester, like I've got mass hole in me. Like they just don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that's very spot on. And and like I very much appreciate Tuca's candidness and I appreciate um, his his dry sense of humor. But I, I really think that it, it rubs people the wrong way, especially like northeastern hockey fans and, and that sort of breed. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you about the bubble. Um, two questions. One: Do you have a favorite bubble fit so far from the boys and their uh, pregame uh, threads? And then two: Are you surprised that there hasn't been more bubble hijinks? that have been reported on or have occurred it does kind of seem like internally the bubble's a little bit boring for these guys yeah i don't know if i have a favorite bubble fit um but i am glad that that we kind of are at the point where we can discuss fits because uh the nhl is allowing them to to kind of do whatever they want that's nice um yeah but it is it has been pretty boring, especially in relation to to the NBA. Like the NBA had uh, t- its own Twitter account about all the weird stuff going on. <laughs> Maybe it's because they were in Disney, and that sort of lends itself to hijinks and and weirdness. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's also probably because a lot of these guys are are just playing ping pong and and going to restaurants and and having drinks and then going to bed and doing. <laughs> doing whatever like it, it's it's kind of disappointing but also i don't know how much energy i would have for uh some of the the drama that might be stirred up from inside the bubble and and how it might be received on on hockey twitter and things like that so just just to be clear you're you're you are reporting that disney world is more exciting than edmonton is this is this i your... think that that would there's our headline my personal experience <laughs> But I can't speak to anybody else. <laughs> all right, Pete. That's all we got. Can you tell people where to find your stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on CBSSports.com. Um, I got a podcast, Listen to Brunch, and then mm-hmm. uh, the newsletter is my new baby for CBS. So if you want to sign up for, uh, for my morning newsletter in which I get you caught up on what you need to know in sports that day, it's just a CBS Sports HQ daily newsletter. Listen to Brunch is great. I've been on with Pete and DJ to talk. I believe it was Star Wars was the last time maybe yeah, I was, was on. That we'll was have really to have good. You on again soon and, and we'll have to you know have an updated sort of uh, topic. But yeah, we did have you on this to explain Star Wars to DJ. To DJ, which really yeah. did not go well. It did not go well. But to, aren't you also? You should. I, I should probably ask you this. Aren't you also a, a Twitch boy? 
I am a Twitch boy, yes. I've become a, a Twitch Not boy. Not a Twitch man? Uh, <laughs> no, because no, because I'm so young in the Twitch game. Or, or I guess, mm. like, I'm not young, but I'm, I'm, I'm so green. And I have no You're idea what I'm teen. doing. So yeah. I'm, I'm very much okay with being called a Twitch boy because I have no idea what I'm doing in that space. But it's very fun. Do you want to, do you want to put out your handle to the world? Sure, it's twitch.tv slash Blackburn. Not Pete, just P. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get uh, the, the full Pete Blackburn, but it hasn't happened yet. There you go. Well, go check out Pete on Twitch. I assume you're playing, like, Qbert and, uh, like, classic games, or is it, like, shooting games? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, there's, I think you're talking about Fall Guys? No, Maybe I was just making. I was making an old guy makes a, a video game joke about Qbert. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a Twitch boy and not a Twitch man, so I don't understand <laughs> the <sense of> humor. <laughs> All right, perfect. We'll go see Pete murder people. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Pete. Gift gift man, Twitch boy, as we found out. It's good to talk to Pete. He's good people. Uh, now it's time for some reader mail. Brian Walsh wants to know, it, okay, you could build a team around one young star currently still playing. Do you choose Miro Heiskanen, Elias Pettersson, Matt Barzell, Quinn Hughes, or Carter Hart? Is he missing anybody from that? Uh, He's missing Kel McCarr. Um, mm. Listen, normally I'm the type of guy who wants to build from the crease out but not necessarily yes. from the goalie out. My mm. first inclination is to say Miro Heiskanen, but my answer probably is Elias Pettersson based on everything I've seen. Like he, he could, he could be the guy. He could be the guy in this league. If he, if, if it all comes together. I totally agree. I believe in him. I love him. I'd still pick Carter Hart. I think there's something special about this kid. And if you've got a number one goaltender, like you see, Carey Price can totally carry a team um, ah. that's inferior. Carey carry can carry. Gotcha. Carey Mike Dorf wants to know, which team has benefited more from Dale Talon? <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights with Jonathan <laughs> Marcheseau and Riley Smith or the Canucks with Jacob Barkstrom? I mean, it's got to be Vegas just because of, like, how they finagled both those guys from Dale Talon, expansion draft pressures and such. Uh, I would go with, with Vegas in that situation. But Markstrom's real good for Vancouver, no doubt about that. I, I thought the question was going to be who benefited more, the Vegas Golden Knights or, like, the decade that he spent building the Florida Panthers. And obviously <laughs> yeah. the answer would have been the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Hunter Peary wants to know, do the Avs need to improve their goaltending this offseason, and how do you make a career out of writing hockey? Seems like a dream job. Well, in the first question, no. I mean, like, Grubauer and Franchot's mm -hmm. were great in the regular season. I think they're fine. They're not going to be ultimately the problem if they end up losing. Um, the only problem would be if Grubauer is, is hurt to the point of not being able to come back. I, I don't think goaltending is really the, the issue there. I think... The issue there is is getting a playoff education and figuring and this roster kind of figuring itself out when it comes to handling adversity in the postseason, um, and then maybe hoping that the depth that played for you well in the first couple of, of rounds plays for you well in a round against Dallas. What about the dream yeah. job part, by the way? Um, I keep reminding myself, like you know, there's been times in the last couple of months where I've been frustrated, and I have to sit, take a step back and be like. Someone is paying me to sit on my couch and watch hockey at home and talk to <laughs> hockey players. Like, life is okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we are really fortunate. Um, I, I know you and I both grinded early in our careers. 
um, to get here. Um, but I think the most important thing is just to remain humble and, and keep, you know, doing those little mantras. Someone is paying me to watch hockey from my couch. Life is okay. It's the truth. And then, but like you said, like it is, and, and I know that, that it's, this isn't like a popular thing to say just because of how mentally taxing careers are. But I mean, it, to, to, to put it any other way is, is, uh, is, is to, to not state the fact, which is that it's a lifestyle choice to be a hockey writer. I mean, it is a lifestyle choice to travel. It is lifestyle choice where you know if you, you mean you got to strap a beeper to your to your hip sometimes when you're doing this job because you don't know when news is going to break, and sometimes it's going to interfere with 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 life, and uh, and that's tough. So if you're willing to dive in with with both feet into a gig like that and, and you work hard at it, then you can make a career in it. But I mean, it's not it's ain't a nine to five gig, correct? Correct. Um, yeah. You can ask all of my friends and ex-boyfriends not to pull this <laughs> work. <laughs> all right, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly Our look, look at sad, sad hyperbole, hyperbole and, strange and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. We talk about the uh, foibles and hyperboles and problems with the hockey media. K- uh, C.S. Kitlinger or C. Skitlinger, not sure, one of the two, wanted you to discuss the Mike Milbury fiasco because she, she wanted to hear you get fired up. You got fired up on, I believe it was Vancouver Radio about this the other day? Yeah, so here's what I truly believe about it. What Mike Milbury said on that broadcast about no woman being in the bubble led to no distractions for players, it's not a fireable offense. It is offensive, though, to any woman. And on that Sportsnet broadcast, I made it personal about me because I'm a woman who's typically around hockey, and I felt like it undermined anything I did, anything any other woman in this industry does, um, because are we really just viewed for our sex and our gender um, and for our ability to distract guys' eyes? Um, It was also offensive to spouses, though, and girlfriends. Um, These are the people who are typically around players. Are they not adding value to their lives in a partnership? Are they just distractions for sex? Um, But really the issue is, is that this is a pattern of casual misogyny for Mike Milbury. Like, this isn't the first time he said it. This is multiple times he has said something sexist that, quite frankly, alienates viewers. We don't need to be alienating anyone else from this very exclusive game. We should be inviting more people to it. Um, And that was what's problematic to me because he has such a privileged platform of being one of the few guys, a few people who can be on an NHL broadcast and heard by millions of people. And for them to waste it on somebody who's just going to say this stuff, it's bullshit. Sorry, bleep me out, Ryan. I I got fired up. (laughs) And the last thing I'll say is I did not realize how much Mike Milbury has offended the women's hockey player community um, until many women's hockey players, high-profile ones, reached out to me after those comments um, because he has offended them, you know, on the broadcast when he compared it to uh, playing in a bubble like a women's hockey game, but apparently multiple times before that as well. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, all right, let's get to puck headlines. Dateline, Mike Green. Oh, man. Mike Green retires. I got I got nothing. I'm going to write a, bit, a little bit about, about Mike Green in the column this week. Like, I got nothing but uh, but love for old, old school, early days Mike Green, one of the true rock stars 
in the National Hockey League during the Young Guns phase of the Washington Capitals, playing drums in a music video the team shot for their theme song, mm-hmm. riding a, a Vespa scooter on uh, HBO 24-7, taking beefcake photos uh, that, that are still available on Pinterest accounts across the world. Dude, dude was an absolute rock star and also completely robbed of at least one Norris trophy back in the day because and this is the truth like this is one of the most important things about Mike Green in in, in his career is I think he was the turning point moment for a lot of people who realized that offensive defensemen who constantly have the puck are actually really good defensemen on the defensive side because it means the puck is not in their own zone and uh, and that was a, a, an education a lot of us got in the uh, end of the last decade as as to how to evaluate offensive defensemen like Mike Green, awesome player back in the day, one of the more exciting players in the league to watch, and uh, and now he's uh, he retires. Fairly well, Mike Green. Yeah, just on a personal note, I had a chance to meet him for the first time in training camp this past season, and I don't think people really appreciated what he went through the last two years of his career, coming back from major neck surgery, and then that disease that he had that was attacking yeah. his liver that kept him out. And because he was on Detroit and very relevant teams after their playoff streak ended, he didn't talk about it. It didn't get the attention. But he really battled back through a lot and then took on a role of mentor to, like I said, a very irrelevant young team, um, just tried to do his part. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Indeed. Uh, Dateline next season. John Shannon reported that he was hearing... The NHL and the NHLPA have had preliminary talks about next season. One proposal is to create four bubble cities, rotating all 31 teams in those venues in eight-game increments. At present, there's no indication if all the cities would be in Canada, but makes the most sense. Well, there's a couple of things about this. One, I can't imagine that that is the scenario that makes the most sense for next season, considering the NHL would like to make, you know, money. Um, but most that money. said, we, yeah, we talked, about, we talked about this with Anthony Stewart. Uh, briefly, um, what do you think about this idea, which I'm sure was probably a proposal bandied about between the PA and the NHL, but by no means is the plan going forward? Yeah, firstly, I think you're going to hear a bunch. It was the same thing as when we were planning the bubble. Like, we were going to North Dakota and New Hampshire for like two weeks, and that <laughs> totally disappeared. Like, you're going to hear different things being thrown around as they work through this. The bottom line is we don't know. I do think there is going to be some kind of hybrid bubble concept for next year. Um, you know, what we saw in training camps where players could just do whatever they want, like, that's not going to fly. Like, there's going to be some situation where they need to safeguard players from the rest of society if they're going to get this thing working without um, a vaccine. Um, but I don't know what that looks like yet. I, I think my early prediction, we start up in mid-January, we play 60 mm-hmm. games. It's a, it's, a su- it's a supremely heavy divisional schedule. But I, I think that the arenas are open again. I just can't. If, at minimum if, or at 25% yeah, capacity, 50%. With a, yeah, yeah with, with like pods of fans. I mean, you're already starting to see it in the NFL. In some places, you're seeing it in wrestling. You're I'm looking forward the, to seeing it in the NFL. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're not going to see it for the first couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. I think by the but time. But the NHL the, will look to that. Yeah, and they'll come back. And, then, and the other places, college football and other places, will have some fans back in theory. So. We'll see what happens. Uh, Dateline, John Tortorella. Remember the conditional fine Tortorella received on January 1st, 2020 uh, that said, hey, you step out of line again, bucko. It's $25,000 out of your pocket. Well, 
after he had a uh, like 59 second press conference following the Blue Jackets elimination from the uh, playoffs at the hands of the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Tortorella answered one question and on the second question basically said, guys, I can't do this right now. And then kind of like just walked away. Uh, the NHL fined him 25K for his conduct during media availability. Now, you are an officer in the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Uh, what is your take on, on this fine for him skipping out on the press conference? To be honest, I'm torn. I'm always for more accessibility, right? And we always want to hear from more people. That said, I'm also for creating personalities and storylines in this game. And like, while John Tortorello, only speaking for 59 seconds, made it all about him and we weren't focusing on the players, it also gave us some pretty good drama and it created Mm -hmm. a villain and it created a storyline. And those are things that the NBA has perfected. And look at things like the NBA deal on TV and things like that. Well, it's one of those deals where, at the one on the one hand, you want uh, someone to be uh, called out for his behavior, and on the other hand, it's undeniable that that behavior uh, generates uh, clicks and, and viewership and, and attention. Um, but enough about the election. Dateline Chicago. Corey Crawford <laughs> Corey Crawford wants to stay with the Blackhawks and the pending unrestricted free agent said that he that pl- that playing time is more important than money. What do you think? Corey Crawford I mean it kind of seems like they're they want to be in the Corey Crawford business after trading Leonard at the deadline, doesn't it? They do. Um I, I think the only question with him is injuries, um and, and, and getting a stable backup um, like they did last year to safeguard that. Um, but I think it's interesting that he said playing time and not winning championships. Now, everyone in Chicago right now is drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, we've got these young guys, Kirby Doc. We're, we're going to you know, transition quicker. But if you wanted to win a championship, there's a lot of teams that could sign him to like a one-year deal where he'd have a better chance of winning. I, I think he feels comfortable in Chicago. I think he wants to see it through with this core. And I ultimately, like the Petriangelo situation, think there's going to be some kind of compromise on a short deal with a cap hit that's probably not what he deserves but gets in this economy. Yeah. Um, Kirby Doc was so good. That was my that was my stock up guy uh, from the playoffs. Um, I think he. I, I love that quote too from DeBoer. Like he's the guy that took these four months and like made the most of them. Yeah, and then he's going to process these couple of weeks and, and become a much better player for it. I think I think Taves when he said that is right. Like the it, it, it you know being in the bubble was worth it for the amount of experience some of these younger guys got around the core. It, it was it was a good playoff for Chicago. Finally, Dateline Mickey D's. First of all, let's be honest, uh, not being on the road means that my fast food consumption has been limited to occasional trips to Taco Bell and the, then occasional trips to Chick-fil-A and the Popeye's chicken sandwich. That's uh, Throughout the entire quarantine, I don't think I've had In-N-Out once, um, and I, don't, wow. I certainly don't think I've had McDonald's once during the quarantine. Um, McDonald's is very much a road-specific, situationally-specific mm-hmm. thing for me. That's it's it. a late night specific thing for me. <laughs> oh hell yeah, yeah. Or next morning thing. You know, two two mm. cheeseburger meal. Which not a bad way to get over a little bit of a of a of a tumbly belly from uh, the night before. McDonald's for the first time is introducing a new chicken McNugget. The new spicy McNuggets are breaded with a tempura coating that includes cayenne and chili peppers to give them an extra kick. Mm. So mm. one thoughts on spicy nugs from McDonald's. Two. Whether it's McDonald's nugs or Chick-fil-A or wherever, what's your go-to dipping sauce for a McNugget or a, a chicken tender type deal? 
Ketchup. Honey mustard or ketchup. <laughs> ketchup? What are you, six? Yeah, I was also the kid that, like, <laughs> dipped carrot sticks in ketchup. Like ketchup a lot. Wow. Holy smokes. Well, I mean, I, well, I think... not you what sh- you expected. No, not what I expected, but also I think you've officially passed your American citizenship test. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll man. go... The the uh, Chick Fil A crack sauce is amazing. Um, that would be like the my my, mm. my first choice if I was going to go with chicken. Um, but I would also say that uh, you know honey mustard's good. But I, I I'm, I'm I would have to say that I'm more of a barbecue sauce guy uh, when oh. it comes to McNuggets. Yeah, give me a sticky, sugary, molassesy barbecue sauce. Um, keep in mind the chicken the the uh, buffalo wings conversation is a completely different conversation. We're talking about tenders and McNuggets. Uh, but I would go. I would go barbecue sauce there. You make a face and you just said ketchup. So get out of here. What do you even? Get, yeah, I know. I realize that I can't be on my high horse here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the show for this week. Our thanks to Anthony Stewart from Sportsnet. Do check out his work there. Our thanks to Pete Blackburn of CBS Sports. Check out his work there. Check out his newsletter and check him out on Twitch as well. And uh, that's uh, that's the show. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Do uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and uh, rate and review us. Um, it's and do important. check out our stuff on ESPN.com. We're doing a daily wrap-up of the previous night's games and looking ahead to that day's games every single morning, edited by our favorite editor, uh, Tim, uh, Tim Cavanaugh. Um, it's, it's good stuff. And, and I think if you're somebody who is trying to live a life that is not constantly consuming Stanley Cup playoff hockey, that it's a good way to catch up on what the hell's been happening. So do check that out. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm, if you don't yeah, love the ahead, time sorry. slots of... Of, of games starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern and wondering where your afternoon Jeez, hockey is and you fall asleep. Well, okay, about? can we just ask, what research are they citing where that's better? I mean, if it's Vegas and Vancouver, I guess their thought is that, like, it's Pacific time zone, let's start it at 7.30 type thing. But, like, sure. I mean, we were playing games at noon. I mean, it's just it, it, break all the rules for the bubble. It, may, it makes no sense to me, but... Uh, but anyways, the time zones stuff is is the lament of an eastern. By the way, you know, again, like people are always being like, "Oh, you live in the east, you don't pay attention to the west." Game started at ten thirty, man. That's why. Start them earlier. All right, read our stuff on ESPN. That's it. Thanks everybody. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.